All right. Well, one final thing before we get into the message. The last time I preached was Christmas Eve. And um, the message was about 20 minutes long. And it occurred to me that some of you may have come here with the hope that moving into the new year, 20-minute messages would become the norm. And uh, so I, I just want to be honest with you that your hope is about to be crushed on the rocks of reality. So um, there you go. Just, just like to be up front with people when they come to church. All right. Well, today on this first Sunday of this new year, I felt impressed. I, I believe, I hope uh, that I was impressed by God uh, to simply share with you some specific prayers that I am praying for this church in the new year. For those of you who might be visiting with us for the first time, what usually happens with our Sunday messages is we take a section of the Scriptures and uh, myself or another leader in our church teach out of some specific chapter, uh, a specific passage of the Bible. Uh, sometimes, rather than looking at one passage, we deal with some topic, and it may take us uh, to several uh, passages of Scripture within the Bible. But the point is uh, that our messages here, our sermons, are always closely tied to and drawn out of uh, specific uh, Scripture references within uh, the Word of God. Today's going to be a little bit different than that. Uh, the things that I say today, I believe, are, are grounded in Scripture. Uh, but my purpose today isn't so much to exposit the Scriptures as it is to simply share with you these specific things that I think God has laid on my heart to be praying for this church in 2014. There will be Scripture references, but I'm not primarily uh, speaking to you to, to try to explain Scriptures. I am just sharing uh, some things that God has has laid on my heart. So please know that today is a little bit different uh, than a normal Sunday for us. And so if you're visiting, you know, I, I hope that you'll find some beneficial things here, but we also hope that you will uh, join us again uh, on a more typical uh, Sunday. And I want to say from the outset very directly that one of my hopes today is that my prayers for this church will become your prayers for this church in the new year. And as the fulfillment of these prayers requires the willing cooperation of each one of us, I'm also hopeful that each one of us will commit ourselves to living in such a way that we become the fulfillment of the things that we're praying for. So here's the first thing that I'm praying for in this new year. That Vineyard Christian Church would be a church that is known for truth, but that is also known for grace. Known for truth, known for grace. That may sound like a rather obvious desire. It may sound like a rather obvious prayer. But experience has demonstrated to me and to many other Christians that being a church that is totally committed to both truth and grace can be a very challenging task. Too many times, churches that are zealous for the truth become churches where grace is hard to find. And too many times, churches that are zealous for grace become places that loosen their grip on truth. Now, I believe that Vineyard Christian Church has been, and with God's help, we are going to remain 
a place that is committed to truth, to uncompromising belief in and adherence to the truth of the Word of God. And friends, this is so important because truth is under attack today. It's under attack in our culture, but sadly, truth is even under attack within the church. The Bible has been reduced by many professing Christians to nothing more than one of many sources of encouragement from which they can pick and choose what works for them and discard the rest. This is among Christians. The Bible's presentation of itself as being divinely inspired and the belief in the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible has been discarded by many people who call themselves Christian. The belief that mankind is separated from God by sin and needs a Savior is viewed as a belief reserved for the gullible and the unsophisticated even within many churches today. The Bible's clearly articulated views on morality, including human sexuality, have been dismissed by the culture and even by much of the so-called church as being outdated, unreasonable, and non-binding. And just so we're clear, I'm not just referencing the, the highly visible debate on the topic of homosexuality when I say that. The Bible's clearly articulated views impacting heterosexuals have been dismissed by the culture and dismissed by much of the church. With God's help, we're going to remain a place that is committed to truth. We're not going to give in to the pressure to loosen our grip on biblical truth. We are going to remain a church that upholds the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Bible. We are going to be a place that understands that when our views come into conflict with what the Bible teaches, it is our views that must submit, not God and not His Word. We'll continue to teach that mankind is separated from God by sin and that the only hope that any of us have is the salvation that is available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. We will continue to teach biblical morality, no matter how unpopular it is or how much pressure is brought against us to compromise. And we will continue to bring attention back to ourselves rather than always looking at how everybody else is doing something wrong. We will resist the advice that in this day and age, you can't speak the truth clearly and uncompromisingly and expect to have anyone come to church. (laughs) And if the advice proves true, we will still speak the truth. It is simply going to be a non-negotiable here. And so I ask that you make this one of your prayers this year. That we would continue to have the courage to speak the truth. 
no matter the pressure that may result from doing so, because I do expect that pressure to increase in the coming years. might not take that long, but I expect it to increase. But the full prayer isn't just that we would be a church known for truth, but that we would be a church known for truth and grace. And grace. We don't want to be a church that is known for loving the truth, but known for being ungracious toward people who are struggling to live out the truth that they believe. And we don't want to be a church that is so offended by sin that we stop loving people who don't live the way we know God wants them to live. Truth, if it is properly understood, should make us more gracious, not less gracious. I want to gently remind us today that the church is a hospital for sick people. Sin, sick, people. That's what we're here for. That's who we're here for. Some of those people will occasionally be members of our own congregation who fall short of living up to what they believe. It doesn't necessarily make them hypocrites, though sometimes that is true. It just means they're not perfect. They haven't arrived, which none of us have. And if we're making the impact on our community that I believe God wants us to make, it means we're going to have a lot of people coming to church here who have not submitted their lives to Christ. And so they are going to live like people who have not submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. I cannot promise you that you will never hear language spoken in the church building that you think and I think shouldn't be spoken and that shouldn't be spoken. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that you'll never see people whose lifestyle is displeasing to God show up at church with their lifestyle on display. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that everybody who comes to church here will dress modestly. Although, by the way, we are in favor of dressing modestly. I can't promise you, you won't ever have to sit by someone who's inebriated. At Vineyard Christian Church, we will never condone sin. We will confront sin. We will even discipline members who show a pattern of continual and unrepentant sin if it is necessary. But we are going to be gracious to people who sin. We are not going to hold sin over people's heads forever. We're not going to allow people's sin to define them. We are going to allow God's grace to define them and to define us. I will always try, and our elders will always try, our various leaders here in the church will always try to walk out the right balance between truth and grace. But we are not going to practice an ungracious variety of truth because that is not the heart of God and we're just not going 
to do it. I need God's grace every single day. I have been the beneficiary of God's extravagant, ridiculously extravagant grace. And as such, I feel a responsibility to extend grace to those who need it. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, restore him gently. If we ever become so zealous for truth and righteousness that we neglect to restore those who have sinned, then we have lost the heart of God for people. And with God's help, we're not going to do that here. And so I'm asking you to join me this year in praying that this church would walk out the balance, that we would be known for truth, but that we would also be a church that is known for grace. And I ask that you look for every opportunity personally that you can find to be a grace extender yourself. Here's the next thing I'm praying for. That every single person who considers Vineyard Christian Church your church home would be all in in 2014. Would be all in. I'm going to need your permission to be your pastor for the next few minutes, okay? Not just to be the guy who preaches at the place you go on Sunday, but I need permission to be your pastor over these next few minutes. Thank you. I'm asking you to be all in. And there are primarily two ways that I'm praying to see this worked out in this year. First, I'm praying that each one of us would be fully committed to spiritual growth in 2014. Now, we've invested a good amount of effort around here at communicating the disciplines that we believe you need in your life if you're going to grow spiritually. And if you're not familiar with the discipleship circle, which faces you every time you start down that narrow hallway toward the auditorium, and which faces you most Sundays when you visit the restroom, uh, uh, then please go to our website this week, vineyard-christian.org. Uh, click on the link about the discipleship circle or, or uh, click on the link that says uh, spiritual growth and read up on all of the information. There is good, helpful information on the website about how we believe uh, spiritual growth is uh, aided. But for today, I want to emphasize three things that I am hoping, I am praying, and I am asking every member of this church to be 100% committed to in this new year. First of all, I'm praying that you'll be 100% committed to being a part of every Sunday service that you can possibly be a part of. This from the looks of today, this looks like we're off to a good start, so good job. But listen, I talk to lots of pastors, and here's what most churches and most pastors uh, have concluded. They have concluded that they just have to accept 
that all they can expect from a majority of the people in their churches is to be at about 50% of the Sunday worship services. I hear this over and over and over again. And I see it firsthand. They've also accepted something else. They've accepted that to talk about it and to challenge people otherwise is counterproductive. You may agree. (laughs) Maybe I'm just hard-headed or... Uh, Maybe at my advanced age of 44, I'm just a product of another time. But I'm simply not willing to accept this. Because it's just not the way it should be in the church of Jesus Christ. It just shouldn't be this way. If you're serious about growing spiritually, you should prioritize being here on Sunday every time you possibly can. Now, I know you're going to go on vacation. I am too. I know you work some Sundays. I do too. (laughs) But friends, if we can just be honest, and this isn't everybody, but the, the frequency with which many of you miss Sunday worship service, it strains credibility to believe that you're on vacation or you're at work, or you have another good reason not to be here. (laughs) I'm getting more support than I expected today. Thank you, guys. (laughs) If you want to grow spiritually, you need to be here on Sunday. You grow spiritually through corporate worship. You grow when we do that. You grow spiritually by placing yourself in an atmosphere where the the presence of God is experienced in in a unique and special way. Yes, God is always with you. He's he's with you in your home. But when we gather together and lift up and worship his name together, it's a unique atmosphere. And it's an atmosphere within which God does some really powerful and amazing things. You grow spiritually through the many opportunities to serve that every Sunday service offers to us. You grow spiritually through showing up here Sunday and going through the discipline of placing your offering in the, in the basket. You grow spiritually by taking advantage of the opportunity to receive prayer that is offered at the conclusion of almost every Sunday service that we have here. And while it's a bit awkward to say this, since I'm the guy that's up here preaching most weeks, you grow spiritually by hearing the Word of God preached. You know, many people have concluded that what's going on right now, what I do, what I'm giving my life to, is an outdated thing. Friends, this is God's idea. Man didn't come up with this. God came up with this. You grow spiritually through hearing the word of God preached. And so when you don't make a priority of Sunday worship services, I don't see how you are really fully committed to spiritual growth. You're you're leaving too much good unused. You're, You're leaving too many good resources untapped. 
for me to believe that you're fully committed to spiritual growth. Now, I'm not going to be so, um, you know, uptight or authoritarian or dictatorial as to give you a list of acceptable reasons to miss church. Okay, you're going to have to work that out between yourself and God. But here's what I am praying and here's what I am asking that in 2014, you would be here every time you possibly can and only miss if there is a really good reason. Now, here's another thing that lacks church attendance reveals. It reveals that you are failing to appreciate how God might want to use you to be a blessing to others in the context of of Sunday morning. You say, Brian, well, you know, you're going to let me, you're going to let me speak? I mean, what am I supposed to do? Well, there are all kinds of things. There's all kinds of ministry that goes on here every week. Do you realize how powerfully God uses a friendly hello? We hear this all the time from people who visit the church. It was the welcome of this person or that person or the congregation as a whole that really impacted me on my first visit. That friendly hello that you give someone when we take those few minutes to shake hands or before the service or after the service can sometimes be the difference between that person leaving here having received what God wanted for them and that person leaving here feeling unwelcomed and disillusioned by the whole endeavor of church. The word of encouragement you give someone, that may not have been received by them if you had stayed home that day. That person that starts up the aisle for prayer at the end of the service, and you're not on the prayer team, but God impresses it upon your heart to pray for them as they walk up. Or or you're glancing around, just just kind of inadvertently you happen to look around and and God directs you to an individual in the congregation and you just begin to pray for them. That doesn't happen. That may not happen if you are not here. For your growth and for the sake of others, I'm asking you to prioritize Sunday worship. The second thing I'm praying is that each one of us will be fully committed to personal devotions. So many of you have uh, reported such good results from reading one chapter of the Bible a day. And, and I, I, we've never, you know, surveyed you about this, but I have heard enough that I believe quite, quite a good number of us have kept uh, committed to that. It, it's an amount that's manageable. It focuses on taking time to pray over it and meditate uh, over it rather than just reading it. Friends, if we want to grow spiritually, we have got to be committed to personal devotions. The psalmist said in the 119th Psalm, he asked a question, how can a person keep his way pure? How can we be pure? How can we live in the way that God wants us to live? How can we be the people that God wants us to be? And the answer he gave was, by living according to your word. And then one of, uh, just a few verses later, one of the key things that he said about how we can, how we can do that is he, he wrote this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Perhaps the best thing that you can do 
to resist sin, the temptation of sin, to, re, to resist living life in a way that displeases God is simply read the Bible. Get the Bible in your heart. If, if we're going to be fully committed to spiritual growth, this is an indispensable part of it. We've got to read the Bible. We've got to pray. And we say this all the time around here. Set realistic goals. Don't focus on quantity. Focus on consistency. Continue reading that chapter a day. Or if you haven't done that, start doing it. Before you read it, pray and ask God to help you understand what you're about to read. Read the chapter. Meditate on it. Pray over it some more. Ask God to highlight some specific things for you to take from it. Pick a verse to memorize. Hide the word of God in your heart. And pray. If you're reading the chapter a day, but you're not praying over it, add that to your routine. Additionally, consider setting aside another five to ten minutes a day to consistently pray. I recommend you start by praising God when you pray. When you start by praising God, it builds faith inside of you. And then by the time you get to the place where you start asking for things, you actually have confidence that God wants to do some good stuff for you. You can pray for God's work in the world. You can pray for the needs of others and and you can pray for your own needs and the needs of your family. And then I recommend you conclude your prayer by praising God some more. So this year I'm asking that we pray for the congregation as a whole, but individually that we commit ourselves to personal devotions. Just make up your mind and do it. It's not time consuming. I I believe that if you will make up your mind that you're going to do this, if you'll be fully committed to it, that God is going to breathe on that. God is going to empower you to carry out this commitment that you've made. And here's the third way that I'm praying we'll be fully committed to spiritual growth, and that is that we would be committed to community. And what I specifically mean by that is that we would be fully committed to small groups. Now remember, I asked for permission to be your pastor. So here we go. All right? We are not all committed to small groups. Not even half of us are committed to small groups. By the way, if I look at you while I'm talking about this and you're not going to a small group, it's just inadvertent, okay? (laughs) I I just, I got to look somewhere and uh, it may just happen it lands on you. But if God uses that to convict you, you know, so be it. Um, (laughs) Less than half of us are committed to small groups, but we need to be. Friendships are established in small groups. I'm going to give you a list of benefits to small groups. Things that you are resources that you're leaving untapped when you don't go to a small group. Friendships are established. Friendships are strengthened and deepened in small groups. Group members care for one another. They learn about your hopes and dreams. They know when you're sick and facing difficulty at work. They know when your kids are struggling and need prayer. They know when you're discouraged and they can pray for you. They know when you're struggling in your relationship with God and they can encourage you in the right direction. At least your group can know these things if you will really enter into the life of the group. 
if you'll be open and honest and transparent about your life, then they can know these things and, and they can support you. Small groups are a good place for your kids to get to know one another better. That can happen whether you include them in the group or you relegate them to the basement. Either way, they can get to know one another better. Small groups are a great place to ask questions about the Bible that you may be struggling with and have dialogue with other people who are also seeking hard after Jesus. Small groups are a great place to receive prayer. Small groups are a great place to learn to pray for others and then to actually begin to pray for others. Small groups are a great place to not only uh, participate in Bible discussion, but if you feel so inclined, there's a little, uh, you know, twinge of the Holy Spirit prodding you along. It's a great place to begin to learn how to lead Bible discussions. Small groups are a great way to bring your faith into your daily life if you are struggling with a Sunday-only variety of Christianity. Small groups are a great place to begin to step into leadership roles. Small groups are a great place to begin to test the waters of hearing the voice of God and knowing when He's prompting you to pray for someone or share a word of encouragement with someone. The list could go on and on. These are just several examples that that just quickly came to my mind. There is great spiritual benefit from small groups. And here's another example, I guess, of where maybe I'm just a product of a bygone era. But I'm frequently told that my only hope is to inspire you to do things that are good for you. That to appeal to a sense of responsibility or commitment will never work. So that list that I just gave you, there's your inspiration. And now I'm moving on to approach two. You're not as supportive as you were earlier. (laughs) I feel that as your pastor, I need to remind you that as a member here, you made a commitment to be involved in small groups. Now, I will freely admit that our newcomers class, we sometimes soft-pedal that commitment. But it's only from years of experience of knowing that if we use that word require, it's not going to work anyway, so we might as well just soften the language. It's never changed the fact that it is an expectation of membership. It is a commitment that members here make. And I just don't think it's asking too much to ask people to keep their commitment. Now, let me try to put this commitment that we're asking of you in perspective, okay? There are 52 weeks in a year. We all agreed on that? 52 weeks in a year. Three months of the year, our connect groups do not meet. July, August, and December, we don't meet. Of the nine months of the year that our groups do meet, most of the groups meet twice a month. Now, I'm a Watkins graduate, so confirm for me, nine times two is 18, correct? Did did I I miss anything there? That's 18. That (laughs) means, it's close. Says another Watkins grad. It's close. 
Here's what this means. That in an entire calendar year, 100% commitment to small groups is 18 meetings a year. You're talking to a guy who pre-1997 went to church three times a week, twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday, and nobody ever apologized for expecting me to do that. (laughs) Now, I just want to be honest with you. That's not expecting too much of you. It's just not. Take my word for it, I'm saying this very nicely. And I mean it for your good. If that's asking too much, you're not trying very hard. You say, Brian, I I like coming to church here, but I just don't really want to be involved with people on that close of a level. Some of you are saying that. You've said that. That's why you haven't gone to a group. Here's what I want you to do. If, if that's ever been your objection to a group, here's what I am I'm asking you to do. Take that objection this week to God in prayer. Explain to him that you don't want to go to a group because you don't want to be close to people. And see what kind of answer God gives you. If you can even fully pray that objection before you realize how completely wrong it is, I will be stunned. Of course, I won't know about it, but... (laughs) You will benefit from small groups. But once again, that's not the only concern. Others will benefit from your involvement in the small group. Don't deprive yourself of the benefit of groups and don't deprive others of what you can offer in a small group. Do you realize that just your presence is encouraging to people in a group? I've seen this time and time again. Some of the best groups, by the way, that, that I've ever had have been groups that were really small. You know, six or seven people, you can just do a lot of good ministry at that size. But let me tell you a dynamic that I see almost all the time. When the group starts to get full, more and more people come to it, the members of the group get excited. They like it. They're encouraged by it. They like meeting you. They like expanding their circle of friends. Just your presence is encouraging to others. Now listen, if there's anything that I've learned in my uh, 12 years as a pastor now, it's that I can't make people do anything. I think that's number one on the list of things I've learned. I can't make people do anything. I know that. But I am praying that you'll commit to groups this year. And I'm asking you to do so. You say, Brian, I noticed that we only have five co-ed adult groups. If we all respond to your request, they will be too crowded. So I will offer myself up as the person who does not respond to help avoid this problem. We would love to have that problem. And here's what I promise you. If we have that problem, we will figure out how to fix it. Okay? We'll get a new group going real quick. We can take care of that problem. 
I promise you. So don't let that be an obstacle. Some of you may say there isn't a group that meets on a night of the week that, that uh, you can attend. If that's really true, really, 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 really true, then what I'm asking you this week is to email Jarrell Godsey. His contact information is there on the directory. And you tell him the, the nights of the week, the days of the week, that a group would work for you. And if we get enough people saying the same night of the week, we will figure out how to start a group that people can go to. But here's what I tend to think. We have groups meeting on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. I think for the vast majority of people, one of those nights can work if you'll simply choose to prioritize it. I really believe that. So for your own good and for the good of others, I'm asking you to commit to small groups this year. If you can't make every meeting, do what you can. Something is always better than nothing. Now, I realize I'm going a little bit long. If I don't hurry up, I'll preach almost as long as Jeff did last week. So, uh, <laughs> so, so let, me, let me hurry along. Uh, I appeal to you to be all in with spiritual growth. And here's the other all-in prayer that I'm praying for this year. That we, VCC, would be fully employed in ministry. Meaning that I'm praying that every single member of our church would be involved in at least one area of service in one ministry. Friends, we have been at an awkward and uncomfortable stage of growth for quite a while now. Our church is by no means a, a, what most people would consider a large church, but we have grown rather significantly in our eight years here. But our volunteer base has not kept pace. It's grown, but it hasn't kept pace. For us to fulfill what we believe God has called us to, we need every single member of the congregation involved in at least one ministry. Now, someday, maybe not too long from now, unless we want to put a nice, big, shiny, no-room-available sign out on the front of our property, we're going to have to offer more weekend worship services. Or we can build a bigger building. But I think good financial stewardship would say that we need to offer more services in the building that we already have. But let me just be honest, right now, there are not enough people serving in flight school to offer another service. There aren't enough people on the welcome team to offer another service. There aren't enough people on the audiovisual team to offer another service. Now, we have entertained ideas of how to offer other services and not provide full programming. Maybe we do that at some point. But if we ever wanted to offer fully programmed service opportunities in addition to this one, we do not have the staffing to do it. Those who are serving are stretched too thin in many cases. But if we could have full employment in ministry, those serving would not be stretched too thin and we wouldn't have to leave opportunities that God places before us unrealized, uncapitalized. Listen, we are actually quite thoughtful about how we ask people to serve. Most people that serve in flight school serve on a uh, one-month-on, two-, two- or three-month-off rotation. It's very similar on the, the welcome team. We're actually quite thoughtful about it. 
And so if you've been afraid that as soon as you make yourself available, you're going to be run into the ground, it just isn't true. People who maybe have felt run into the ground, it's a result of the fact that the, the, the volunteer base hasn't kept pace with the growth. There are enough people in this church to fully staff everything that God has called us to do if everyone will simply step up and serve. Now listen, we only call people volunteers because every other term we've tried sounds weird. That's the only reason. I tried calling you servants for a while and it just sounded weird to me. But you need to understand, we only use that word because everything else sounds funny. Christians, members of a local body of believers, are not volunteers. And you're not religious consumers. You are ministers of reconciliation who have a responsibility to be involved in the work of God in the world. And your first responsibility is to be involved in the work of God through your local church. Here at the Vineyard, we're fond of saying everybody gets to play the game. But I want to add to that, everybody needs to play. And everybody is expected to play. There are many places a person can get involved in serving. From evangelism, to the food pantry, to international missions, to helping maintain the facility. But for today, I want to emphasize three things. Three areas where we always have a need, it seems. And three areas that we need to address if we ever want to expand our reach and be able to to offer more worship services. We need help in flight school. Been a consistent theme for eight years. We need more help. We need more help on on the welcome team. And we'd really love to have some of you that are under 50 years old. That would be nice. No offense to the 50-year-olds. This is a challenge to the younger folks. It's no offense to 50-year-olds. I'm almost there. I'm not going to offend you guys. This is a challenge to young people to step up and be a part of the welcome team. I'm glad you gave me the chance to clarify what I meant by that. No, I'm thankful for everybody who's on that team. But some of you younger folks need to be on that team, and you're not. It was going so well until that point. <laughs> and we need help on the audiovisual team. If you are not currently serving somewhere, if you are, I'm not appealing to you. I'm not, you're not who's in view here. This is specifically for those of you who are not serving right now. I'm asking you to sign up today to get information about serving in one of those areas. We have three sign-up sheets on the welcome table, just on the other side of the sound booth, on that wall, on the other side of that wall in the foyer. Three sign-up sheets. We're just asking you to put your name on there and say, I'm, I'm willing, I'm interested in getting information and how I can help in one of these three areas. I'm asking you to do that if you're not involved in serving. Everybody gets to play. Everybody needs to play. Friends, we don't want to get to heaven and have left anything on the field. We don't want to do that. We want to give everything we have for the cause of Christ. And let's be honest. 
what's asked of us in the context of the church in the United States of America is not overly challenging. It's just not. Do a little reading on what Christians around the world are facing. If you think you can't step up and serve, just read a little bit about what Christians are going through. It's not asking a lot. So start today by committing to serve, committing to help us become a church that is fully employed. All right, I really have to hurry, but uh, I'm going to get through this, so I I pray that you'll be patient and bear with me. Um, I'm praying that we'd be a church known for truth and grace. I'm praying that we would be all in, fully committed to spiritual growth and fully committed, uh, employed in ministry. And I'm praying that we would be passionate about reaching those who are far from God. That's my next prayer. And I want you to join me in it. Listen, there's a tension that exists in churches. It is a tension between focusing on the spiritual growth of people who are already part of the church and reaching out to people who are far from God. It's a tension. All all churches face this tension. And Christians rarely say it outright, but there is often a subtle suggestion That until a church is batting a thousand, growing its existing members, that it has to choose between ministering to them or reaching out to people who don't yet know Jesus. But what I believe and what I think the Bible supports is that this can never be an either-or choice. The church must always be both growing its own members and reaching out to those who are far from God. Now, I believe that VCC is a fairly balanced church. I I think we're at least trying real hard to fulfill both of these responsibilities, and we're always going to try to do better at both of these responsibilities. But something I need you to understand is that we are not going to wait until we are growing our own members perfectly before reaching out to people who are far from God. Let me give you a couple reasons why we're not going to wait for that. First of all, we won't wait because any institution that has human beings involved in it is never going to do anything perfectly. That's one reason we're not waiting. Secondly, we're not going to wait because the fact that people are dying apart from Christ won't allow us to wait. Do I think that the salvation of the world or even the salvation of people in our own community rests fully on us? Absolutely not. But I do believe that we share in the ministry of reconciliation that the Apostle Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 5. And I, like Paul, believe that God appeals to people through us and that we are responsible to do what Paul wrote about in verse 20 of that chapter. He wrote, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The ministry of reconciliation and the Great Commission do not allow us to exempt ourselves from the responsibility we have to people who are far from God. It doesn't all rest on us, but we need to do what we can. And one of the great temptations that churches face when they're uh, transitioning from being a startup or a new church plant to being an established church is the temptation to turn inward to turn inward. They lose their passion for those who are far from God. Listen, we have this 
notion that the New Testament church was this perfect place where all the Christians acted like they ought to and believed what they ought to all the time. And it's simply not true. Listen, in the early church, the New Testament church, it was full of problems. They had people involved in their churches, members, if you will, involved in gross immorality. They had people in their churches lying to the Holy Spirit. They had people in their churches who brought their pagan practices into the church. They had people in their churches who were divisive. They had spiritually lots of spiritually immature people in their churches. And yet none of those facts, as far as I can tell, ever caused them to abandon their responsibility to people who were far from God. Evangelism did not wait for everyone in the church to be fully discipled. So listen to me today, church. One of the greatest things that can happen for your own spiritual growth If you're a person who's tempted to say, you know what, we just need to focus on on those of us who are here, let me encourage you that one of the greatest things that can happen for your spiritual growth and health and the spiritual growth and health of everybody here that you're concerned about is this. It's for your heart to be set on fire with passion for people who are far from God. That's one of the very best things that can happen for your spiritual growth is to burn with desire for people who don't know Jesus. I'm praying and I hope you'll join me that in 2014 we would be a people who passionately care about those who are far from God and allow it to translate into action into the action of prayer, into the action of inviting people to church, the action of sharing your own faith journey, the action of actively looking for divine appointments with people who God has been working in and who are ripe and ready to be harvested. May this be true of us this year. Praying for all of these things, and there's one more, I'm praying that in 2014, we would be people who are filled with the joy that the Lord provides. The joy that the Lord provides. Just to give you hope, this section is way shorter than all the other ones I just (laughs) came through. There was a song that used to be sung in the churches that I grew up in, and I can't remember all the words, but it included these. This joy that I have... The world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. The world can't take it away. And my prayer for each and every one of us here this year is that we would have the kind of joy that is not dependent on our circumstances. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul wrote this, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches... Listen to this next line very carefully. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. That's an amazing verse of the Bible. I'm not, I, I can't take the time to unpack all of that today, but just hear those words again. Out of the most severe trial, 
their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. They had joy that wasn't diminished by severe trial. Joy that wasn't diminished by extreme poverty. That's the kind of joy that is the fruit of the Spirit of God living on the inside of a person. That's the kind of joy that the world didn't give to anybody and the world can't take away from them. And that's the kind of joy that I pray each and every one of us have this year. Acts 13 shares another example of this kind of joy. The disciples had been involved in some very fruitful ministries among the Gentiles. But as a result, they encountered persecution and they were kicked out of the region where they had been experiencing this fruitful uh, ministry. And in the context of that persecution, verse 52 of chapter 13 says, And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. You want joy in 2014? You need to be filled fresh. You need to be filled anew with the Holy Spirit. Because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm praying for you this year that you would have joy that can't be taken away from you. God provides it. If we don't have it, we need more of him. I'm willing to admit I need more of him this year. I think you need more of him this year. I pray that we would have more of him. And that we would truly be filled with his joy. All that I've shared today, all that I'm praying for, all that I'm asking you to press into, if we do all of that, 2014 will be the year that God wants it to be. For you personally and for this church. I believe with all of my heart that the prayers that I've shared with you today are things God wants for us. I believe these are the things that will make up the year that God wants us to have. Beyond these things, I think God is dealing with some of you in very specific ways about what he wants for you this year. Perhaps it's a sin that he wants you to turn away from. Perhaps it's an attitude he wants you to let go of, a wrong belief he wants you to abandon. Perhaps it's an emotional scar, a a hurt that has wounded you deeply that he's been wanting to heal for a long time, but you've been pushing back. And this year he wants you to let him heal it. He wants you to give him access to it. Whatever God is specifically dealing with you about, I appeal to you, I appeal to us, collectively and individually. Let's make 2014 the year that God wants it to be. Why don't you stand?